Um, we've been kind of camping around this, this thought. I don't know if this, John, ah. Um, I think way back in uh, tail end of September, um, I think I've told you the story, I don't wanna bore you with it again, but God began to speak to me about 2024 being the year of the open door. And what I didn't know at that time is on the 15th of September, um, it's the Jewish New Year, and that particular, the sum of that year, which we could come to in a minute if we need to, actually has this glorious invitation to us that God will open up an expansive space for us. The number four at the end of the, the I think this is the number. Ah, sorry. Five, eight, five, seven, eight, four. This is the number of the Jewish year. The four at the end particularly um, has really kind of a resonance of, of a new beginning, a threshold of moving into something fresh and into something new. And what is quite surprising about this is that, well surprising to me anyway, is that about, I would say for the last two or three weeks, maybe it's because, it's a bit like when you buy a new car. Have you ever noticed this? When you buy a new car, you see them everywhere. Maybe it's a bit like that. Well, this particular subject, 24 being the year of the open door, seems to be everywhere. And it seems to me that all of the prophetic voices that I'm aware of and some that are fresh and new to me are actually talking about a similar thing. So that, that's, that's good, because that makes us feel like we're in the right space and in the right place for all that God wants to do. But I wanna ask you a question, because I think it's important, and I'm gonna go off track a little bit this morning. I wanna ask you, what does that actually mean for you? So God has opened a door that no man can shut, Revelation 3 verse eight. What does that actually mean for you? What are you thinking that looks like? As you are walking with this prophetic word, what are you praying for? What are you expecting God to do? Perhaps for some of us in this room, the idea of moving into something fresh and new is quite scary. Perhaps we've been so familiarized with the season we've been in that thinking that now there's this great open space and God is gonna do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. We don't know what to ask and we have no ability to imagine. So we're a little bit stumped. What will that look like? For some people that could be a reality. For others in the room, and I've met some of you, it's a new job. You've already decided. God's gonna give you a new opportunity. And um, I'm wondering if you've got that right. I'm wondering if that is what this means for you. It's so easy to take what I want and to impose it upon what God says. And I've got to be really careful not to do that because his ways are not my ways and his words are not my words. And some of you who don't want a new job might get a new job because the, the year of the open door for you is about change. For some who want a new job, you may not get a new job. You might have the same job, hallelujah. But you may have a different approach to it. You may have a very different perspective on it. Let us not presume, I suppose is what I'm saying, that we have this all worked out. It's important that we step towards this with two qualities, I think, humility, which is simply saying, God, I don't know the end before the beginning, but I know someone who does, that's you. 
And so I'm gonna walk towards this invitation with humility. I'm not gonna impose upon you any restrictions or conditions to what you want to do in my life in 2024. But I am grateful, God, that it is the year of the open door. I wonder what door you will shut. I wonder what door you will open. Maybe it's a spiritual experience. And just be, be humble, be humble before God. And let God write the story. Have you ever tried to take a pen out of somebody's hand when they're writing the story? I think sometimes as Christians we do that with God. God's just about to put his, his hand to the paper and say it's going to be, and before we know we, we're directing his hand to say what we want it to say, not what he wants to do. And I just wanna say it's important just to, to sit back a little bit, if you like, and ponder this and consider this and stay humble. And I wanna to suggest to you that that posture is absolutely necessary Here's why, because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man. There are you with all your plans and it hasn't even entered into your heart. What God has prepared for those who love him. And humility has got to be a prerequisite if we want to be led by the spirit. You can't be in control and say, God's leading me. That's foolery and it doesn't work. And you know what? Sometimes I think we're all guilty of that. Sometimes we say, you know, God, I want you to. And God says, well, maybe not. No, I'll just intercede more. You know, I've got to have, I need to have, I must have. And, and God would say, no, the plans I have for you, not the plans you have for you, the plans I have for you are to prosper and to bless you to give you a hope and a future. So humility causes me not to be presumptive. Now I may want a new job. I may want a new relationship. I may want to end a relationship. I'm not looking at anyone married here. That's not an invitation, okay. All of those things may be the current realities of how I feel or how I perceive my life, but actually I am not permitted to presume that I know exactly what God wants to do. I love this scripture in the New Testament. It says that we see through a glass dimly. And if there was ever a moment where anyone who's prophetic needed to sit and listen, it's at that point. What I see in part may be of value, but it's not the sum total of what God wants to do. And here's another thing that humility affords me. Conversations with other godly people who may want to be a council of witnesses to either endorse some of the things I think or maybe hope are God's will. We need a good counsel of godly witnesses in our lives and not be a lone ranger or a maverick. Now you may have a word of God, but if it's a word of God, trust me, it will stand the test of scrutiny. If you have a word from heaven, I guarantee you there'll be others who have picked up that that's God's leading in your life. Not just because they're nice to you, but because they care that you get this right. And so you need people around you. You need to have a body of people around you, not hundreds. I find if I ever have a word from God and I say it to a lot of people, everyone's got a, a every, opinions are like faces. Everybody's got one. We've all got opinions on everything. And sometimes it gets very complicated. So I have a small group of people, I say, would you weigh that up for me? I'm sensing that leading and you know, I'm not gonna jump at that. And, and then they'll come back to you and they'll pray for you and they'll, they'll say what they see and they'll tell you what they sense God is saying. So humility, 
Let us not walk towards this presuming we know all the outcomes. Can you hear me, church? I need you to hear me because I had a dream last night and in that dream, a number of people were, were like lemons diving off the edge of a cliff making these decisions and I felt God say to me this morning, just move slightly aside from what you're gonna talk about and talk to them about the, the responsibility we have to navigate prophecy according to how the scriptures tell us to do that. The second thing that I think is absolutely necessary is curiosity. Now what humility does is position my heart in submission. It says, God, I don't know the end before the beginning. You're the only one who does, so I'm just gonna walk with you in humility. Whatever you say, wherever you lead me, whatever you ask of me, I'm gonna do my best to honor what you're saying. But curiosity is another aspect of this, and that is to lean in, and I think Marissa used that word, to lean into this and say, God, I wonder what it looks like. I wonder what you have in store for us. I would say one of the greatest gifts you could give the Holy Spirit is to be curious. Do you know how to practice that? Can I give you two ways you can practice curiosity? Is that a yes? I'm just, I wouldn't want to presume anything, you know, trying to stay humble. <laughs> Cloud of witnesses. Um, <laughs> thankfulness. You see, if I'm thankful and I adopt a posture of thankfulness, I am spiritually awake. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, his love endures forever. If I am staying connected to thankfulness, looking for opportunities to be thankful, I will be spiritually awake. I will be attentive to what God has done, but I'd also be attentive to what God is doing. And that is why we've got to trade, forgive me, forgive me, self-pity for his glory. We've got to trade it. There's a little vocabulary, it's coming out over and over again in the church about how hard it is, how hard it is for us to be Christians. I think you should remove that out of your vocabulary. It's not doing you any favors. It's not doing you any favors. And, and trust me, in comparison to some other parts of the world where people are being persecuted because they love Jesus, we still have relative freedoms. Now, I know, I know we've had a pandemic I know, I understand that. And I know that lots of people have struggled emotionally with some of the confinements and restrictions of that pandemic. But have a look around you, nobody's wearing a mask here. That has finished, it's over. And it's important to realign our hearts to hope. This is going really well for me. I'm realigning my heart as we speak to hope. And hope is the substance of things that produce faith in our lives. If I'm not being thankful and I am conditioned by difficulties and problems, thankfulness will break the curse that that depression and anxiety has placed on me. Thankfulness is the antidote 
It's the medicine I need to take to stop me from spiraling further into a place of despair. And it's very difficult to be anxious and thankful in the same breath. Try it. It's impossible. You can't be thankful and anxious in the same breath. Now, I'm not talking about fake thankfulness, you know, through gritted teeth. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. I'm talking about treasure hunting, looking for all day, every day, in every circumstance, something to be grateful for, something to thank the Lord for. Because I'm utterly convinced we miss some of the wonderful things he has for us because we haven't been trained to look for treasure in the trash. And we need to be trained by the Holy Spirit to look for treasure in the trash. Because there's always something good that God is up to. Even in the worst day of your life, God is doing something good. Even in the greatest battle that you face, the devil's working for God. He just doesn't know he's working for God. For all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord according to his will and his purpose. So you can give thanks, but you need to incline your heart to curiosity. Lord, where are you working in my life and how do I keep connected to that? A number of years ago, I went to Bethel Church in California and um, I was invited into the leadership meeting because we knew somebody who was on staff there. And uh, I imagined, you know, I've been a pastor for a while now. I imagined that those meetings would be really high powered. You know, this is a, a world changing, phenomenal environment, a prophetic environment. And I was so keen to be in these meetings. And, and they start, and Chris Follerton was the guy who was there. Bill was away, Bill Johnson. And he said, look, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. And he turned to this lady and he said to her, I think her name was Velma. He said, Velma, tell us what's happening in your life. And Velma began to speak and she began to tell this story. And she said, you know, the other day she worked, <laughs> what, what an assignment from heaven. She worked in Hollywood. <laughs> There's a mission field. I don't know about Kidderminster. There's a missionary, Hollywood. She was called, she was a creative person, she was called to be a missionary to Hollywood. And she began to tell this story, how she had lunch, a lunch date with this A-lister, and she began to tell this A-lister about Jesus. And um, this A-lister prayed the salvation prayer. Guess who the A-lister was? Angelina Jolie. I thought, well, this is good. This isn't like our staff meetings. <laughs> you know, we're not figuring out where was so-and-so they haven't been for three weeks. <laughs> have we planned, have we made sure that the chairs are out for the lunchtime thing? That it wasn't anything like that. None of those conversations. And then they moved on to this other guy and he was one of these kind of very stately, older, kind of gray-haired gentlemen. And um, he began to tell his story. What have you been up to? I think his name was Rick. And uh, he said, oh, I was away for a weekend on a catamaran. <laughs> it's not really castle, is it? It's not really castle. And I, and I was thinking, oh, wouldn't you, like to, wouldn't you love to be away for a weekend on a catamaran? And, and Chris said, where did you sail? And he said, oh, we were in the Seychelles. It was wonderful. And, and, and he began to tell this story of how he took, I think, about 15 high-powered CEO-type people uh, men on this kind of retreat. And uh, he unpacked what happened and he said, you know, we used to sit on the shoreline at nighttime and he, we lit a fire and we were, you know, cooking stuff and, well, I don't think they were cooking. I think people were cooking for them. <laughs> there was people, you know, he had people. And, um, 
And he was saying, you know, going around this little circle of men that everyone's afraid of and they make these huge decisions about millions and millions of pounds worth of, of uh, commerce. And he said, you know, we talked to this guy, his name was Jim, and he tells the story how he can't bear to be in the same room as his wife. And he said the Holy Spirit came. And he wept, and he wept, and he wept. And of course, you know, if you've ever been anywhere with men, they don't weep, do they? Only when the football's lost or something, but it's not, it's not real. And he wept, and he wept, and that catalysted another guy sitting across, and he said, my marriage is terrible. I've been unfaithful to my wife three times. And these men on the side of this shoreline, under the stars, gave their hearts and their lives to Jesus, the only one who has the ability to restore and to renew the things that life and we have broken. Well, I thought, well, that's great, but what about the Christmas events? Shouldn't you be planning the Christmas events? Shouldn't you be planning? So we came out of this meeting, it went on for about an hour and a half, and we came out, and I said to Lisa, the girl who invited us in, I said, what was that all about? You know, that just seemed like a testimony thing. And she said, oh, every time we meet, every single time we meet, no matter whether it's before the service for prayer or it's a gathering like that of the leaders in the church, the significant leaders, we give thanks to the Lord for what he is doing in our lives. And I suddenly realized that the culture of that church is all about what Jesus can do. And of course, that culture starts with an orientation of heart that says we will look for, we will be treasure hunters searching for what God is doing. Now, they didn't talk about their problems in the gathering. They didn't talk about their financial needs as a church. None of that came up. Why? Let me tell you why. Because when you set your heart to discovering what God is doing, you are so full of faith for all that you need him to do, you don't have to conjure that up or pull it up from your boots because you have been conditioned by thankfulness to see that he's at work. So as you step towards 2024, this open door, I want you to think about those two things. You need humility. Please don't be presumptive about what God will do. And you also need curiosity. Where are you working, Jesus? In fact, if we did this with each other, we'd have way more meaningful conversation. When you're talking to somebody and they're telling you all that's happening in their life, here's the subtext. What are you doing in this person's life, Jesus? And what would you like me to say to encourage them to keep going with that? Can you imagine that kind of fellowship where we were intentional about that kind of thing? Do you know, if I was going to be naughty, I would say, turn to the person on your right-hand side and prophesy. And I should be able to say that because we are a prophetic people. And the Holy Spirit is with us and God speaks to us. And in a gathering like this, there are so many people who need to hear that God understands and sees where they are. And yet so often in these contexts, we never think like that. We never think like that. But in the New Testament, they did. They came with a spiritual psalm or song and a word of encouragement to bless one another. There is nothing, nothing in this world as wonderful as the church when she is fully alive. 
Nothing is as wonderful as the church. It's the most high octane environment for hope and freedom and blessing and goodness and fullness. And we're seeing little smatterings of the Holy Spirit moving amongst us. But unless we partner with the Holy Spirit, it'll just be an experience and it'll fall back into the category of, do you remember that time when? This is God opening something for us. So I wonder if you have a word for the person sitting next to you. And let it not be you're in my chair. (laughs) And when you gather together in 2024, the year of the open door, why don't you step through it and bless somebody near you? Bless somebody around you. Now, we've got 10 minutes. I'm going to take you to something that I think is important for us in 2024 to consistently look at and point ourselves towards. It's from John's Gospel, John chapter three, and it's verse 16, you know it off by heart. For God so loved the world, maybe we can put it on the screen, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, everyone can recite it. And I wanna tell you there are some things here that are invitations to us as a community Uh, in 2024. In fact, they are the fullest expression of what the open door really means. Let's start by the first sentence. For God so loved the world. How are you doing with loving the world? Sue came to me yesterday and she said, I've got a prophetic word for you. I thought, oh, that's nice. Will I go to the nations? Presumption. (laughs) And she said, no, you'll go to the prostitutes and the prisoners and the drug addicts. And, And she perhaps wouldn't know that that actually is my preferred place. Not because I, I can't do some other things, but because I know what that brokenness feels like. I know what that emptiness feels like. And over and over and over again, God realigns me and reassigns me to people who are not all together. You know, like you lot. (laughs) People who have a few frayed edges. Not like you lot, because you're all perfect, aren't you? And your life is wonderful. And good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Mary Ellen. It's all wonderful and we live in these euphoric ideologies about the perfect Christian life but you know the world is full of broken people and I am so grateful to God that in my brokenness I met with him and so I am drawn to those people and so I'm saying that to you because I think that in many ways there is an audience waiting on you that God wants you to turn up for in 2024 and I got to ask you a question do you love them now maybe it's your family do you love them I mean, I know you say I love you on the bottom of a card at Christmas, or if it's somebody's anniversary or birthday, you might write it, love you, but do you love them? Because this isn't just an abstract thing that God says, this is the heartbeat of who he truly is. For God loves the world. Now, think that through with me, that is a massive upgrade for many of us who have walked with Jesus and have become oversensitive sometimes to the ways people behave. But without it, what do we have to give people? I met a lady once, she was the pastor of a church somewhere up in the valleys in South Wales and I'm sitting talking with her and she's telling me all the terrible things that the church had done to her and I looked at her and I said, do you love the people? 
And she went, what? I said, it doesn't sound to me. Now maybe I'm misreading this. Do you love the people? Oh, she said, you don't know how hard they are. I said, I didn't ask you the question, how hard, how difficult it is. Do you love the people? And she could not say, I love the people. She could not say it wasn't her truth. Now I'm sure she stood up on a platform on Sunday and said, God's lovely and he loves everyone and I love you all. But remember I said earlier, what you carry is what people catch. And the people knew that she didn't love them. She was irritated by them. God knows I've been there. <laughs> she was frustrated by some things. I am sometimes there. But you know, I wanna tell you church, to all kinds of levels and degrees, you can only lead people to life who you love. And if you don't love the people, you'll never reach the people. And people are really sharp. They can pick up when they're a project. They can sense when there's an agenda. And you know, I love that Jesus didn't do any of that. He just loved the people. What would that look like for you? In 2024, the year of the open door. I wonder as he leads us to the people, what will really turn up in our hearts? Because if I'm not infected with love for people, all I have is words. All I have is words. And I watch how Jesus interacts with some very broken and sometimes difficult people, but every single time he interacts with them, they know that they are loved. They may not like what he says, they may not do what he asks, but they know that they're loved. You think of Mary, the prostitute, the temple prostitute who had sold her body from a very early age to accommodate her needs and she'd been looking for love in all the wrong places, from all the wrong people and what happens between her and Jesus is remarkable. It's just remarkable because every man she's ever known had taken advantage of her in some way, shape or the other and you know that song, the Andrew Lloyd Webber song, we probably don't value that enough in the sense, it's not a worship song but she uses this phrase and he penned it in that song in the musical, I don't know how to love him, what to do, how to please him. And what she's describing and he's trying to put into, uh, articulate into words is that Mary was really confused about how she loved and felt about Jesus. And why did she feel all of that? In the grand scheme of the kingdom of heaven, she wasn't the most significant individual, but as far as she was concerned, she felt that she was. Jesus saw her as she truly was beyond all of the paraphernalia and the external things she would have had to have adopted to be visible and available. Jesus saw her as she truly was. And when she came anywhere near him, she was undone by that. And she wept and washed his feet with her hair. People just looked on and were puzzled by what was occurring, but Jesus loved her. God loves people. And we sing about that and we're grateful for that for ourselves, but what about everyone else? I just tell you this, God's not sitting in heaven drumming his fingernails on the lectern thinking, what the, are we gonna do about Birmingham? Do you know what's gonna happen? 
a love revolution is going to hit the church and it's going to hit the streets of Birmingham. The greatest move of the Holy Spirit will not be great meetings in the church. It'll be encounters on the streets when God, through his people, turn up and love people back to life. If God loves this world, I have no right to not love it. If God loves this world and he's pure and perfect, I need to find help from him to be able to do that. It says, for God so loved the world, and look at the expression of that love, and this is a challenge now to us as a community. For God so loved the world that he gave. You know, if we really want to be effective in 2024, we need to become generous. And I'm not talking about the money you put in the offering. I've noticed there's a thing about generosity that opens doors. Have you ever been to a restaurant and tipped well? Oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong crowd. Have you ever been to a restaurant <laughs> and tipped well? You see, when you're generous, the next time you come back to that restaurant, you don't get the seat by the door next to the kitchen where the rats run. <laughs> you get taken into the body of the building where there's light and heat and all of those wonderful things. Generosity opens things up. Hello. And one of the characteristics in the New Testament of the move of the Spirit, apart from all the signs and wonders which we as Pentecostals get so caught up in, is that people were exceptionally generous. I mean, they were so generous, they sold some of their possessions to give to people as they had need. You see, if that's not happening in the church, it won't happen outside the church. Now, earlier on, we all said yes to a move of the Holy Spirit. This is a move of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that freedom isn't just that I dance at the front. That freedom is I am no longer a slave to the God of mammon. And I am able to live as the Spirit leads me without anxiety and worry because I am not an orphan. I have a father who has cattle on a thousand hills. And he is my beloved. And therefore, I am not holding on to everything for fear that it's going to be a rainy day because it's already rained. I'm going to give excessively, abundantly, above and beyond what's expected of me. See, I was doing okay with the love bit. Now we're getting into heavier territory. I can feel that I'm... If you want to know someone who walks the walk of Jesus, they will love people without conditions attached to the best of their human capacity. By the Spirit of God, they'll be able to do that. And they will also be generous. Generous. And some of the most incredible people I've met, they may not be the stars on a platform, but they have demonstrated Jesus. And you say something like this, oh, your coat is lovely, would you like it? Because this world means nothing to them. It's nothing, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. And they live out of that overflow. It is well, it is well with 
my soul. And obviously, if I can't be generous, it's not well. It's not well with my soul. Perfect love. (laughs) I love how you quoted, let's live it. Perfect love (laughs) drives out fear. And when you're living and every penny is a prisoner and you've got this little pot and this little expedition, all of those little pots that you're moving around, okay, you are preoccupied with the possibility that at some point, through fear, you may have lack but you lack no good thing, the Bible says. No good thing. So, what we're about to see is the church turning up in our city generously. Have my seat on the bus. Let me pay, my daughter told me she was in Marks and Spencers, the audacity of the girl spending my money in Marks and Spencers. She Marks and Spencers the other day, and uh, she was talking with her, her mom, Jane was with her, and there was a young girl in, in about two or three in front of her, and um, she, I think she was about 14, and she came to the till, and she wanted to buy her sister some sweets, and she didn't have enough money, and she, she got her coins out, and behind her, in the next place to her, was a young lady from this church, and she said, let me pay for that. See, that's, Spirituality. When you look at that, that's what this looks like. I'm everywhere, in every way, doing everything I can to express the kindness of God. And who doesn't want to be part of that? I mean, we all like to receive. One more thing on this, because I'm going to go to 525.2. Don't leave the church. Okay? <laughs> Be generous, five minutes. Dinner isn't even ready. And Costa's too expensive. Don't rush to Costa. Because it costs a lot to go to Costa. It's more blessed to give than even to receive. I don't think we believe Jesus. We fostered a little girl called Emma for about three years and she didn't have anything. She came to us with a runny nose and a scabby face and her mom had such severe learning difficulties that she left her out in the sun and she got something degree burns. And um, we took her into our home and she just was so keen to get everything she could. And I loved it because we had lots to give. We always wanted more children. And so we would give her things. Oh, you can have that, Emma, have that. You know, she'd look at it out of the corner of her eye and I'd say, have that, Emma, you can have that. And one of the problems she had was that her mom forgot to feed her. And so she scavenged. And uh, she would go in the bin, even having had a great big meal, and she would pick out food and she would eat it. If you go into a restaurant with her, she'd reach across to the people. We tried to sit as far away from people as possible. She'd reach across to the people and she'd take food off their plate. And you know, she had the sweetest little smile. Nobody said no, apart from one grumpy old man. But anyway, <laughs> enough about somebody in Elim. But the truth is, <laughs> the truth is, she had lack. And because she had lack, she needed supply. 
And why was that the case? Because by all intents and purposes, she was an orphan. Orphans grab, sons give. They just give, because they know their father. They know his heart, they know his ways. Can you hear me? For God so loved the world that he gave, a good season coming ahead of us, of the church turning up in culture with generosity at the core of their reality. One of the most profound spiritual outbreaks will come when that begins to materialize. And then it's the whosoever. And I got some bad news for you. You know that seat that you sit in every week? You might not get it one Sunday. Because when God begins to move, he doesn't attract the people you particularly want to have. One time in Glasgow, our whole front row was filled with people who had half an eye or an ear missing from scrapping on the streets or somebody who looked from the back like she was 20 and from the front like a car crash, God bless her. (laughs) And they were just the, the most incredibly broken people just the most broken people. And, and we had this guy come to sing a big concert and they all came in. They all, all these people from the hostel came in and they, they don't know that you're not supposed to sit on the front row, that that's reserved for the holy people. <laughs> and Ben. And they don't know that. <laughs> they didn't know that. They didn't know that you didn't, you didn't shout out, I love this one. <laughs> when the guy was singing, oh, I love this. And there was a swear word in the middle, I won't use it. I love this song. It's one of my favorites. Didn't know any of that. They didn't know that when the pastor got up to speak, a holy hush would settle, if only. A holy hush would settle in the room. They didn't know any of that. And, and one of them, she used to say all the time, what's he going on about? What's he, go- what's he talking for all the time? And she'd say to her girlfriend, actually, what's he going on about all the time? What's all that about? Now, that's exactly what you want to say every Sunday, but she didn't know that. She didn't know that. And a lady two or three seats behind, um, I was sitting, actually, beside this lady from another church. It was a, a concert, and she said to me, this church is disgraceful. She said to me, I said, you're right. I said, you should have a word with the pastor. She said, where is he? I said, he's not here tonight, he couldn't make it. (laughs) Said there's people hugging and kissing and look at the state of these people. And I touched her hand and I said, I think Jesus would love this. And then the guy strung his guitar chord, began to sing, holy, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And one lesbian couple leaned into each other and snuggled up. And my heart broke because this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the God we love. This is the God we delight in. And he doesn't look at people the way you look at people. He has a whole other agenda with people. And we want everyone to behave before they have beheld. 
and God wants people to behold so that he can work with them to help them behave. And the whosoever's are coming. They're coming, they're gonna come in their droves and they're gonna come looking for a community that's generous and a people that are so in love with Jesus and in love with their city. For God so loved the world, the year of the open door, this is what we're invited to, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sentence after it sums up how the church could so automatically presume what they think that means. He did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to redeem it and to give it life. Stand with me, please. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Father, thank you for a wonderful week of prayer. The best thing about prayer is not that we spoke to you, but that you spoke to us. And thank you, Lord God, for your words and the seeds you've sown in people's hearts and lives. May they flourish in the name of Jesus. And as we step towards this open door, keep us humble, God. Keep us humble, but make us curious. Give us an insatiable curiosity for thankfulness and gratefulness to spot what you're doing in every part of our lives. And condition our souls, Lord God, so that we can love the world as you love the world and not judge or decompartmentalize or categorize people because that's the work of the devil. Separation never comes from God. Unity is God's preferred operation. Every nation, tribe, and tongue loving him with all their hearts, all their minds, and all their strength. We thank you for all the uniquenesses of our culture, Lord God, but we are one body. We were birthed by one spirit, and there is but one salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you, you need to give him a chance to show himself and reveal himself to you. I'm telling you, he has transformed my life beyond all recognition. And all you have to do is invite him to forgive you for your sins because they're a bit of an obstacle because he's holy and you might not be. And invite him to come in and cleanse you and to fill your heart with his love because he is everything you've been searching for in all the places you've been going. And Father God, we want to love our world. We want to love our city to life. We want to become the generous people that reflect your heart, Lord. Not orphans holding on, but people who are aware of your greatness. My God shall supply all my needs. And Father God, we want to be as available to the whosoevers that you seek to bring. And you're calling their names now, even as we speak. And these people are about their business and they don't know that the Spirit of God is hovering over their heart and you're knocking, waiting for them to open the door. When we come across them in our path, which we will, help us to be attentive, Lord. Curious enough to be attentive to say, what would you have me say to this wonderful person that you're seeking to save? We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, everybody.